to the Rotoscopers Podcast, Episode 7, Rango, The Creepy Critters. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with over 100,000 downloadable titles to choose from. For the listeners of the Rotoscopers Podcast, that's you. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial. Personally, I love audiobooks. I listen to them all the time. I listen to them in the car when I'm jogging, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there. And it's a great way just to listen to the books that you've always wanted to listen to, but you never think that you have time. I listen to about a book or two a week, and it's definitely thanks to Audible that helps me. The great thing about Audible is that you get to keep the books. They're yours forever. You don't have to give them back. It's not like when the 30 days is up, your book suddenly disappears. It's yours. You get to keep it. It's incredible. I love it. And I know you will too. So for a free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com backslash the rotoscopers. Welcome to the Rotoscopers Podcast, an animation podcast for animation addicts, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. And I am your host, Chelsea Robson. The Runest Tootinest Cowgirl in the Wild Wild West, <laughs> along with Morgan Burt. The Magnificent, Marvelous, Mad, 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 Morgan. And Mason Smith. And I'm Mason Smith, in the West, known as the Armed and Dangerous, Stagecoach Hijacking, Pig Stealing, Law Defying, Devilishly Handsome, Wanted Outlaw, Laredo Smith. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> What's that? Where'd the harmonica come from? <laughs> I, I have a harmonica, right? That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, well, I thought it'd be a good touch. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. <laughs> oh, man. This week has been a fantastic week in the world of animation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Morgan and I, we had the opportunity to watch a documentary called The Sweatbox, and it was about the making of the Kingdom of the Sun, a.k.a. the Emperor's New Groove. Did you watch that, Mason? No, I didn't check it out. Oh, uh, you missed out because Seriously. this is a only twice-released documentary. It was actually made by Sting's wife because Sting wrote a lot of the songs for Kingdom of the Sun, and a lot of them got cut, so only a few made it into Emperor's New Groove. So anyways, Sting's wife was commissioned by Disney to make this documentary about the making of the film, and of course, midway through, things changed and got thrown out, and it didn't quite turn the way they wanted it, so pretty much this is a documentary Disney Disney does not want you to see. <laughs> it, it definitely wow. paints a bad light on about all the bureaucracy of making animated films and how structured and, and corporate it is, especially in the Disney company. And it was on YouTube for a few days and then mysteriously taken down. Yeah. So I woke up one morning and I was looking through my Facebook and I saw that a friend of mine had just posted and I was like, oh, that looks cool. I'll watch it. And I <laughs> sent it to Morgan. Uh, I, I probably should have sent it to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> But it was an eye opener. It was supposed to be like the lion, the next Lion King. It was by the director of the Lion King. Like it started out being him, and it was supposed to be his next epic that they were going to do. And so they had lots of different music from lots of different types of music. Yeah, genre. Yeah, yeah, just many different genres that they played into this. And I was really impressed with the whole thing. But it really. It changed, and you know you can kind of see the reason as far as if the story doesn't quite 
hitting it out of the park, you're going to want to save your money and you're going to want to fix things too. But it was, it was really kind of sad no, how you, it worked out that way. Yeah. As I was watching this, it was what, like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. It was fascinating, but at the same time, really depressing. Like it was so sad because they did interviews with the director and different animators who'd worked so hard on characters that got cut. And you just felt for these guys. They'd yeah. already spent two or three years in development. The reason it's called the sweat box is because that's where you take your film um, periodically and it gets reviewed by the heads of the studio. And they really like the Iron Fist comes crashing down or they give it a lot of praise and you keep going. And unfortunately for them, they, you know, there was all this build up. They were really excited to go to the sweat box and it just got slammed after slam after slam after slam. And they completely had to rework the plot. It was supposed to be this grand epic tale. You know, there was a creation story in there. And what it came down to is that the heads of the studio thought it followed the Disney mold too much. It was it was a good movie, but it was just kind of too too Disney in a way, and so it I mean definitely see the transition to what became Emperor's New Groove, which was completely off the wall, different for Disney. Yeah, I know Kingdom of the Sun would have been a good movie, and a lot of people would have preferred that version. But Emperor's New Groove, in its own right, is an amazing film. It is. So. Here, I'm sorry you guys can't watch it. I mean, you can. I did read on the YouTube comments before it was taken down that someone put it on, like, BitTorrent. So if you're desperate to watch it, then go and do do those things. But I did not tell you to do this and didn't hear it from us. <laughs> but You didn't see anything. <laughs> well, uh, my animation world has been pretty busy and stressful. I'm currently working hard on my application to BYU Animation. Yay. Coming up in yeah, coming up in June. That's coming up soon. Yeah, don't remind me. Um, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> uh, I've been working on uh, so I've been working on sketchbooks. I've been working on figure drawing. I've been working on three graphics projects, and uh, I really haven't had time to watch much animation. But you are I, animation. I guess so. <laughs> I just hope I get in. <clears throat> so yeah, that's kind of been my life for the past couple of weeks. Cool. So let's move forward to the news. We have three main news stories today. Keeping it short and real. You know, we don't want to waste too much of your time. But it's not waste because it's animation and it's awesome. Am I right? You're right. Thank you. Yeah, you're right. So when you're right, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) I know this already. (laughs) Okay, so our first news story, and this definitely has taken the animation world by storm, is Glenn Keane left Disney after nearly 38 years at the studio. Oh, holy cow. So, Glenn Keane, for those of you who don't know, he is the legendary animator who did Aladdin, Ariel, and Tarzan. Um, he's he's kind of an animation god to a lot of people. On a Friday, he wrote this letter, and it, it got sent to his colleagues. And what he said is, After long and thoughtful consideration, I have decided to leave Disney Animation. I am convinced that animation really is the ultimate art form of our time, with endless new territories to explore. I can't resist its siren call to step out and discover them. Huh. So, I mean, first off, 
Being out of the same company for 38 years, no matter who you are and what industry you're in, is a long yeah. time. Not Now I think so much it's it's the norm just to switch companies every few years and, and kind of... It's not like the olden days where you stayed with the same company, but for him to have stayed with it since the 70s, and and through its goods and its bads, I feel like he went through the 80s, which was a rough period. The 90s were great. And then middle 2000s, early 2000s, where it definitely struggled. And he was still there. Shows a lot for who he is and how much he supported this company. Yeah. So here's some of the characters he worked on. As an assistant animator, he worked on Penny and Bernard from The Rescuers. He worked on Elliot the Dragon from Peach Dragon. Later, as um, not an assistant animator, but as a regular animator, he worked on The Bear in Fox and Hound, William oh, cool. Giant from Mickey's Christmas Carol. Oh, I love that guy. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> he did Ilanwi and Gurgi from The Black Cauldron, Radigan and Fidget from The Great Mouse Detective. Fidget. <laughs> Fagin Skykes, Jenny, and Georgette from Oliver and Company. Oh, I love it. Ariel from the this is when he kind of hit his hit his uh, his big time. Ariel and the Little Mermaid, Marahute and Cody from Rescue Downloaded. <laughs> Beast from Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin from Aladdin, Pocahontas from Pocahontas, Tarzan from Tarzan. Man, just big street. Yeah. Just <laughs> tight, <laughs> title <Yeah>. characters. <laughs> John Silver from Treasure Planet, and lastly, Rapunzel from what would have been called Rapunzel, but got changed to Tangled. So you're wow. basically saying he's a pretty big deal. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Just making sure. It's a pretty sad day to see him leave, but I'm excited to see what he does next. I think of Don Bluth, who in the early 80s, he went out and did his own studio along with Jeffrey Katzenberg, who started DreamWorks Animation, and those guys both went on to do amazing things. So, I mean, they were talented, connected, well-known, admired, and successful, and he's all those things mm-hmm. and more. 38 years at Disney to prove himself. I, I don't think he's going to have a problem with what he does next. So that leads to the question, what do you think he's going to do next? Switch to a rival studio, start his own, do a feature film do cartoons. I have a feeling that he might not go to a rival studio. I, I mean, the way he mentions there's new territories to explore, which makes me think that there's something different that he's interested in doing. So it'll be cool. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so here's our mini, mini nerdy couch discussion for the day. Who is your favorite Glenn King character that he did? I'm torn between the Beast from Beauty and the Beast and Tarzan. I love Tarzan because he's really cool. And his, like in Tarzan, in the movie, Tarzan's like animation and his movements are so different from his other human counterparts because he was raised by apes. So I, yeah. I thought that was really creative. I also like the Beast. For everyone who's heard episode one, you know, you know my stance on the Beast. I think he's a fascinating individual. <laughs> and um, so yeah, I'm kind of torn between Beast and Tarzan. Probably Tarzan more. Yeah, I, I'll agree with you on that one. As much as I like Aladdin and The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. I think just like fine wine, it gets better with age. And I think he got better and better and better. And I think Tarzan was kind of the pinnacle. Not saying he's gone downhill, but yeah, Tarzan really stands out to me as an amazing feat in animation for 2D animated characters and for him. First off, this is not my absolute favorite character, but I think right now, just because I'm digging on Bette Midler, I really (laughs) love the character Georgette from Oliver and Company. Like she was just a great all-around character. He's just done everything, and so he can do anything that he wants. Yeah. 
just a quick bit of news here. Uh, at the beginning of this month, they released the the book, The Art of the Secret World of Arietti. Uh, it's, uh, it's got your concept art, your layouts, your stills from the movie, all the art for that film. I remember thumbing through the the art of Spirited Away years ago, same studio, and uh, it was awesome. It blew me away, and uh, gotta love those uh, those Japanese animation art books. That's actually one of my like I have a bucket list of a hundred things. It was really like a dumb thing to have on the list, but my one of my goals is to have the art of Secret World of Arietti, the art of Aladdin, the art of Pocahontas, to have yeah. a whole collection of all of those books. That'd be awesome. Isn't that cool? Yeah. yeah. So I don't I don't own any. Yes. <laughs> One one day I'll I'll get they're so expensive, but yeah I, I tell people like an easy Christmas gift you can get me this but it, it never happens, so it might take me a while to get this collection. It might yeah. <laughs> so anyways, especially since now some of them are out of print, so like price keeps going up up and up. Like oh ching yeah. Okay, <laughs> our last bit of news: trailers, trailers, trailers. This is the week of the trailers. So, we're going to talk about three trailers that we got, which were kind of like first glimpses. We'd see production stills before, but this was the first trailer of each one of these. So, first one, there's a new Tinkerbell film, fifth in the series, called Secret of the Fairy Wings. Um, Essentially what it is is Tinkerbell, she, she goes off into this forbidden part of the woods, which is called the Winter Woods. You know, because she, Tinkerbell and her friends, they're all spring fairies, and they they deal with the flowers and making things grow. So there's this other side of the world where it's all about winter. So they, Tinkerbell just can't help herself, and she just goes and can't resist its call. And she meets a new fairy, and then discovers the secret of the fairy wings, whatever that is. Yeah, this is. I've only seen the first and third Tinkerbell film. Uh, I do want to see more. I've just never gotten around to it. I don't know. These these films look they're pretty standard, direct to video. Like obviously, this franchise is a big money maker for them, so that's why they keep pumping it out. So that's why they keep making more. Um, but one thing, like one plus about these, is at least the animation's really pretty. So it's true. Hey Morgan, um, was it this movie? <laughs> okay, this is a really funny story about us. My sister, she has Down syndrome, and she loves watching movies. One of her favorite things. Every week, my mom basically buys her a new movie. So we have a lot of movies here. And I come to Chelsea's house to rent films. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be kidding. (laughs) No, not at all. One time, we were coming. She came over to do something. I was upstairs, and she was downstairs with Marissa. And we had, there was this, the Disney Movie Club magazine that was on this counter. And she starts talking to Marissa, and she's like, Hey, Marissa, have you seen this, uh, the Tinkerbell movies? No, I haven't. Oh, you should. <laughs> it's like, at this point, I'm walking down the stairs, and I'm overhearing her. I'm like, Morgan! <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, I knew that, that, Mar- that Marissa got a new movie every week, so I might as well, like, push her to get one that I wanted to see. <laughs> and then, of course, I get caught. <laughs> Good times. Uh, that was so, awesome. I, I wish I still had that gusto about the new ones that I did for that, that very first one that came out that I was so intrigued. Yeah. Maybe I should convince Marissa to get it. Yeah. It comes out in October, so it'll be a while. But Hey, Miss. Hey, hey. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Did you have any thoughts on it, Mason? Uh, yeah, I just thought it was pretty. I mean, it, was, it was cool. I haven't really gotten into the whole Tinkerbell <laughs> films. I don't know why I haven't. Oh, really? Me either. You just It seems like your type. <laughs> Hey, well, you know. The next one was Hotel Transylvania. So in this trailer, we got to see 
Count Dracula, he owns a hotel where where these monsters can rest in peace, as they say, and they come and they can rest from all troubles and cares. So it, it shows them what's going on in the hotel, and then this little boy, Johnny, comes up and he discovers the secret of, of the monsters, and that's about it in this trailer. Personally, it still looks very meh to me. I'm not super intrigued by this trailer, but... Yeah, what do you think? I don't know. I I thought it looked pretty funny. <laughs> I was I was like, hey, I'd like to see this. <laughs> yeah, it looked okay to me. I don't know. I don't know what to say. It was just kind of a quick look. I did notice that Adam Sandler's voice for Dracula sounded a lot like the voice of Gru by Steve Carell in Despicable Me. Oh. To me, it's kind oh, yeah. of similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, ah, oh, well, all right. <laughs> Take it. Okay, last one was the film was DreamWorks Animation's Rise of the Guardians. Actually, after seeing this trailer, my opinion changed. Remember one of our first episodes, or episode three, we got the movie poster, and I it showed more of the characters and in, in who they were, and I remember saying that, yeah, they look very blah, very generic, like any studio could could do this. Um, but after seeing, the tra- after seeing the trailer, I stand corrected. I think that the characters, they're darker than what you would typically imagine for your, you know, beloved childhood legends but at the same time they feel loving and trustworthy i mean like santa is this big brute with tattoos who's like a biker dude definitely a different side of santa we haven't seen before he he's definitely like you know your bodyguard type of character yeah the trailer piqued my interest for this film i'm a lot more interested in it now than i was before so that's a big yay moment um, <laughs> out of the three, out of these three trailers, this is the one I'm most anticipating. Yeah, I think so too. Rise of the Guardians, it, it's definitely got like a darker tone to it. And uh, yeah, you're right. Santa's like this like burly Russian guy. <laughs> and um, but I think it'll be cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm looking looking forward to it more now that I've seen the trailer and kind of seen seen the the motions and, and the atmosphere of the film. So yeah, looks pretty intriguing. I'm kind of the opposite. (laughs) Um, As we discussed, and as you probably all can notice, I am really a fan of my childhood view of the world. (laughs) Going back to our discussion on (laughs) Rockadoodle, I like my things the way they are. (laughs) And I've created a nice little world where all these characters live, you know, where Santa is nice and happy-go-lucky and big bowl full of jelly <laughs> coca-cola santa exactly these are the, these are the things that i put in and the whole dark to it just scares me so i don't know what to think uh we'll see i'll probably end up seeing it if not marissa will bring it home <laughs> i'll probably see it then so but that's just that's what i got out of it cool So this week for our nerdy couch discussion, I, Mason Smith, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been thinking about the principle of character appeal and animation. I really wanted to explore that on this podcast. And so I just have a couple of questions. You know how we have spoiler alerts? This is going to be a Mason alert because you're about to hear me get kind of passionate about this. So just know. Mason jumps on his soapbox. Uh, No, I have to be more dignified. I just kind of stride up (laughs) my cape with sword drawn. (laughs) 
he asserts his throne. <laughs> Here's my question, animated world and rotoscopers. So do y'all ever notice how animated character design has changed over the years? Mainly looking at the differences between earlier and later versions or cartoons of the same franchise. I'm going to name some examples, but what I've noticed is that nowadays animators are going for a more edgier, kind of sleek, mo more modern look for audiences. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Ninja Turtles, comma, the Teenage Mutant. <laughs> Okay, so, yes. So I gave y'all some links to study, and I hope you did your homework. And I'm talking about the Ninja Turtles then, back in the early 90s, you know, late uh, late 80s, and then the reboot or the revamp uh, series that they started in 2003. I remember that. I actually remember both of them. Big difference. And I've, and I've seen both. I'm a huge fan of the, old, of the old one, and I've seen maybe one or two episodes of the new one. The first thing I thought when I saw the 2003 version was like, whoa, like they turned the Ninja Turtles into like killer turtles. <laughs> What do y'all think? Because you've seen you've seen how it changes, right? Yes, and it kind of reminded me of like Batman. You look at Batman over the years, like even from the '60s, they had a certain Batman had a look, and then every ten years or so, they put out a new Batman. Yeah. And I remember even when it went into like the Batman Beyond, and that was like very futuristic. I love that one. <laughs> I was okay with it. But there are some that really kind of bug me. I would say that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the newer one, I didn't like. I didn't particularly enjoy that one as much as the older one. But then that that could have been just my bias on the old one. And because maybe you weren't eight. Yeah. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. I like what Chelsea said. The, uh, styles, they've changed. You know, if you look at all the Hanna-Barbera cartoons in the 60s, they all look the same. They all had the same, like, way of, of animation and side-scrolling. And then it switched. In the 80s and 90s, I think it's a lot more true to anatomy and the comic book style, which some of those cartoons are based off. And then late 90s, 2000s, it was a huge shift. I think of Gendy Tartakovsky. He came around in the late in the late 90s with Powerpuff Girls, and I remember how completely different Powerpuff Girls looked compared to everything. Yeah. A lot of his stuff has this um, very stylized look to it. I think of Samurai Jack, which he did, Dexter's Lab, and the first... Personal favorite? The first edition of The Clone Wars. Um, oh, yeah, before it was uh, all VeggieTales. Like yeah, the well... <laughs> yeah, the first two seasons, which were amazing. I'm not, I haven't followed the new ones, but his style definitely, I think, represents this shift in animation where it's it's slick lines very minimalist color you know it's we're not trying to work on the shading it's just this character has one color maybe one shading right here very simple in my mind to me it's probably like easier to animate it's probably cheaper obviously things have changed with the computer helping a lot in animation now but it's yeah. kind of sad i think because i mean i think back to one of my absolute favorite cartoons is masters of the universe he-man <laughs> <laughs> awesome like i for me it kind of takes a, a bit of the edge away it's like oh well whatever <laughs> yeah i think of yeah. i think of the hanna barbera cartoons where they weren't full animation to kind of cut corners all the characters had to have necklaces or shirt lines or something around their neck so that way they only had to animate the top head talking and the sleeve from the neck down <laughs> the same or if like they were walking oh, they just left the head and then they just had the walk cycle of the body <laughs> Ha, ha, ha. 
I mean, that has nothing to do with style, but that's like, something <laughs> they did. Morgan, you just ruined Hanna Barbera for us. <laughs> oh, sorry. What mainly is bothering me is you know the design and the anatomy of these characters and how it's changing. And I'm not saying it's totally a bad thing. Look at Ninja Turtles. The comics, I think, were closer to the 2003 version of the cartoon, and then they did the 2007 the CG film uh, TMNT, which I really enjoy because they can accomplish a lot more comic book action with the more sleek character designs. And I think they look more like teenagers than the kind of bulbous character designs that we had, you know, back in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. But in some cases, I don't like it. Like, I understand that you have to simplify your pipeline and, and when you're working on animation, you have to make things, you know, cost-effective. Look at the X-Men. And this is where I'm about to get my passion on. I have been watching the X-Men animated series uh, on Netflix watch instantly for a while. And man, I just love it. I actually saw the live-action movies before I started watching these old cartoons again. And I'm not a big proponent of the movies. But talking to animation, back then, like, I thought it was great. Sure, the animation looked awkward because maybe techniques weren't as refined back then. But the costumes and the body proportions and everything was so faithful to the comics that it was like I was watching the comics, but it was a kid's show, you know? Yeah, and I totally. think I think, I think maybe kids loved that because they didn't have to go to the comic book store to see these characters come to life anymore. And then they, they did a bunch of revamp series. They did X-Men Evolution, and they did another one. It was I think it was a kind of a mini-series where Wolverine is the leader and stuff. Mm-hmm. So look at the X, look at the X Men then, and look at them now. I don't like it. <laughs> I think it was because they're so authentic to to the comic book look. Take one of my favorite Marvel characters ever, Sabretooth. He's a big bad guy. He's like the complement of Wolverine. Wolverine is kind of short and ferocious. Sabretooth is giant and hulking and <laughs> yeah, ferocious. Yeah. Okay, so I showed I showed you guys pictures of Sabretooth then and now. So Sabretooth back in the day, like he looked like he does in the comic. You know, he, he's not very realistic looking, but he fits his character. He's huge and ferocious. So I sat down uh, about three years ago and watched Hulk versus Wolverine with my buddy Dustin who's a big comic book fanatic and as soon as Sabretooth showed up on screen we both went oh <laughs> they ruined him they totally ruined him and so I guess what I'm talking about is that it works for some cartoons I guess when it kind of fits their role and it fits the overall like tone of what the original source material is supposed to be but I think that the oversimplification of some of these character designs is a bad thing and it makes me wonder where character design is going in animation. Yeah, okay. I need to play devil's advocate right here because you were mentioning how much you love the comic book style and mm-hmm. you'd prefer it to stay true to comic books. Well, since we all have Netflix, we seem to peruse quite a bit and stumble upon some very strange things. <laughs> okay? That being said, there is a show on Netflix. It's called The Astonishing X-Men Gifted. Probably the creepiest thing I've ever seen. Essentially, all it is is they took frames from the comic books and animated those. I will put a link somewhere on the show notes so you can see this but it's so creepy because it's just a still image and then they animate it by slowly moving the head and that's the only part that moves or the mouth just creepily moves up and down <laughs> it's so disturbing to me yuck I don't like it I love X-Men I'm a huge fan over Christmas I watched all the X-Men with my brother the original well not the original but the 90s version loved it loved every moment of it you know like you said the animation's not perfect but it does its job but this was just and this was from the actual comics and I still hated it. Ugh, I, I, I couldn't finish it. So it's kind of the other side of being too true, I guess. Okay, here's here's the thing, though. Astonishing X-Men Gifted is called a motion comic. So you know the difference, right? I don't know the oh, difference. Okay, well, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm looking at a I'm looking at some thumbnails on, on YouTube because I have to say I haven't seen this yet. I saw it on Netflix, but I was like, oh, it's a motion comic. I don't really want to get into that. So a motion comic is one thing. It's, it, it's like you just said, Morgan. It's literally taking panels from the comic book and giving them kind of minimal animation to 
give it just enough animation to not make it look like, okay, I'm just thumbing through a comic book on my TV. It's definitely one of those hybrid animation forms where you're getting the old feel of looking at a comic book, but you don't have to read the lines because they're saying mm-hmm. the lines. Yeah. So I can see where your your frustration is. And I, I know you're playing devil's advocate, but my counterattack would be oh. that the X-Men I mean, animated series was a cartoon and this is a gra- this is a motion comic and I'm, you know, I'm not really, it's, to me it's not the same thing. Apples and oranges. Um, yeah. Apples and oranges. So yeah, that's a good question. Slashing X-Men Gifted is a motion comic. That's a little too much like a comic book. At that point, I think I'd just like to pick up a, a comic book and read it. <laughs> and so going back, I mean, and there's there's tons of examples. There's, uh, you know, the Hanna-Barbera cartoons. There's um, even Dexter's Lab. The newer seasons got, when I think they did kind of a, they got some new animators or something, or they tried to do some new series. And Dexter's Lab got a more, an even more sleek and edgier look than it did. And uh, they also got different voice actors, and I didn't like it. Um, Never a good thing. Mm-mm. And then you get difficulties when you kind of try to cross from 3D animation to 2D animation. Uh, the one that comes to mind is the Buzz Lightyear Star Command cartoon. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it just comes with a difficulty of converting it to 2D. But I didn't like that either. Yeah, I think a lot of these just go back to budget, you know, especially the ones where they have a TV series spinoff from the show. I mean, you have a, a blockbuster budget and then you go to TV series budget and production schedule, which is just like through the pipeline, bust them out. You know, yeah. so they need to do things as quickly as fast and cheaply as they can. So, I mean, I'll cut them slack for that. My bottom line is, I don't know. I don't know what the ratio is, like 50-50 or what, but some of this newer, not cheaper, but newer, you know, flashier, edgier character design works. Because I like Dexter's Lab. I can't I can't think of it with any other animation style. And as much as I don't like the content of the new Ninja Turtles series, I like the appeal of their character design a little better. And then, of course, you've got, you know, Pixar that has its own, um, its own character design, you know, mostly for humans, and that's always appealing. Even though, you know, in The Incredibles, Bob Parr, his upper body would completely crush his lower body. <laughs> but I guess that's all about giving the illusion of life and not recreating life. And so I, I, I get the argument that, you know, well, you know, you want to have that abs- abstraction because, you know, you've got to simplify your characters. You can't draw them super realistic. You might as well just watch a live-action movie. But I think some of these cartoons, the edgier character designs take away from the appeal because they were meant to be something more fleshed out and more dynamic. Cough, cough, X-Men. So, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just bitter about what they did to Sabretooth. I didn't like him in the live action movies either, but maybe, uh, maybe that's just, that just put me over the, the edge as far as like how passionate I'm getting about this. But I don't want to be all negative about it because sometimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't. For that's me. all I got to say about it. Yeah. So for our listeners, if you have opinions on this and you've been shouting to yourself or into your, your iPod, just send us an email. Let us know your <laughs> thoughts. Um, how do you feel about character design and character appeal and how it's changed over the years. So just send us an email at therotoscopers at gmail.com. Here in the Mojave Desert, animals have had millions of years to adapt to the harsh environment. But the lizard is going to die. So we, we've been talking about character appeal, and now we're going to get into our main discussion for the movie Rango uh, by Paramount. Uh, it was animated by Industrial Light and Magic. Crunchy, creamy, cookie, candy, cupcake. Rango was a lizard attempting to adapt to his surroundings. Who exactly are you? Names. Rango. That's what I said! <gasps> He's trying to figure out what he's supposed to be, like most of us in life. Hola. 
You ain't from round here, are you? It's certainly nothing I've ever done before. Any of us have ever done before. Ah! Open the door! What's great about the way Gore Verbinski is directing this is that we're all on a stage. Instead of motion capture, it's kind of emotion capture. <laughs> using the actors as a reference for the emotionally animated character. Oh! Now you get back on in there and you assert yourself, and I think you'll find the people of this here town to be surprisingly hospitable. Thank you, Sheriff. What? That's you again! Uh, stand corrected. You raise your game because you're working with other people. It's more of a natural acting experience. Make your move. Ooh, you're good. I think it just gives a bunch of grown-ups an opportunity to be silly. What's he doing now? I think it's a number two. <laughs> Johnny Depp is Rango. Yay! Rango. Rango actually won the Oscar this year. Woo! And we'll be talking oh, yeah, a little did. bit. We'll be talking a little bit about why it did and and if we agree with that. And so, what are you guys' first thoughts when you saw this or you saw trailers for it? I wasn't really in the country when this came out, so I had not heard a word of it until I got home. And we started talking about it on the podcast. All so the <laughs> I was like, okay, I, I'm going to have to look this up. But as far as my first, when I saw the pictures of it, when I first saw like different billboards or anything of it, I thought, interesting. I didn't know what to think of it, though. And, and you're right, Chelsea. Like, Rango, this film has been kind of like lurking in the shadows during our podcast because I, I, we always mentioned it and it's won the Oscars and uh, you know we talked about our favorite films and that's how it was for me like I would see previews and spots for it and I was like uh I don't know if I want to see it and then after talking to one of my animation professors he had a lot of praise for it and then uh, we got on Netflix uh, during a family vacation and I watched it one night on a portable DVD player in our travel trailer and um, and it was good like I it was it was cool I was like wow Wild West animated film I tried to think about the last time they did a Wild Wild West animated film. My first thought was Five Goes West. True. I think they did other ones. Home on the Range. There's Five Goes West. Yeah, there was Home on the Range. And I, oh, do you remember the cartoon series, The Cowboys of Moo Mesa? They were literally, they were literally no. steers with guns in some <laughs> steer town. I remember a picture in my head just coming up. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, there was an arcade game which was boss, by the way. But other than that, I can't think of that many like Wild West themed or Wild West universe animated films. Mm -mm. This movie was creative because I liked how they kind of made up this miniature animal Western world that was in the real world because there were cars and people like humans. But they had the the town of Dirt, the iconic mm -hmm. Wild Western town in this film. It was made up of a hodgepodge of a bunch of household items that kind of made up their miniature Wild West world. <laughs> and definitely, and another first impression I had when I was watching this was this is the first animated film by Industrial Light and Magic, the, uh, the visual effects studio that George Lucas started when he worked on Star Wars. To me, it just looked different. Like, it was a different look, and this look of Rango is something we're going to be bringing up a lot during this episode. So that's one of my first impressions. I was like, this is totally different from anything I've ever seen in an animated film. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence, the, the different look and feel of the film and the fact that ILM was the company that produced it. They're a very high-end special effects company you know, if you think Transformers, Star Wars, 
you know, they're masters of their craft and especially they're masters at creating special effects that fit into the real world, that fit into live action. You know, so they're really good at kind of replicating life on a very exact mimicking sort of way and making it blend. So I definitely see that trend in this film because it feels real. Like if there's certain parts which we'll talk about in a bit, but I feel like this could be part of the real world, but it's just slightly off that obviously it's not. But yeah, they did a great job in this movie. I thought it was a fantastic job too. I liked how what you were saying. It looked really real, but it never got to that point where it's like not cartoony enough that it would like take you out of the the story. Yeah, definitely. Another thing I noticed, and it was kind of something I noticed a little too much, I think, was the presence of Johnny Depp (laughs) in this film. And this movie played pretty heavily off of Johnny Depp because he was the the central character, Rango. For me, Johnny Depp has a very strong presence in all of his films. I mean, it's kind of hard to debate that. I loved his dialogue. It was really funny at times. And, okay, first quote. I like it when he's in the bar and he's, like, convincing everyone that he's he's Rango. He's, like, saying, I, I've seen all sorts of things. And he goes, you spent three days in a horse carcass living off your own juices. It'll change a man. <laughs> It'll change a mind. I loved it. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> His dialogue is is there. Like, it's got a, such a strong presence and there's so much of it because he's, you know, he talks so fast because he's this, you know, fast-thinking, sly uh, chameleon. For me, it kind of got a little annoying in some parts, but for the most part, I, I enjoyed it, but I just, I guess I just want to make a note that this was definitely like, oh, what do you call it in the movie industry when it was like, they practically made this movie for this actor. Uh-huh. I wouldn't go that far for Rango, but Johnny Depp has a huge presence in this film. Yeah, I feel like he took up 80, 90% of screen time and dialogue, and everyone else, yeah, they were there, but it was the Johnny Depp show for the most part. <laughs> Can you imagine the Johnny Depp show? I didn't have a problem with, with Johnny Depp's presence, or as you say, too much of it, I guess. I don't feel like there were parts where I'm like, oh, this is Johnny Depp's voice. I, I'm noticing Johnny Depp. I, I kind of got lost in the character, so it didn't bother me as much. And I think that was kind of part of the character, that he was this, like, scatterbrained, frantic, skittish fellow. You know, so he's, like, yeah. all over the place. He's talking super fast. And, and that may have been one of the reasons you were kind of annoyed with it. To be honest, I really didn't notice. Well, first off, I didn't even realize that it was Johnny Depp. <laughs> oh, man. I got the red box, and red box doesn't have, like, the picture or the, like the names of the people on there. So I was like, okay, what is this? <laughs> I just put it in and, like, and went with it. So I didn't have the mental picture of, of Johnny Depp in my mind when I was watching it. So it didn't bother me. Like I didn't, there was nothing that came across as this character is, is too much. There's, <laughs> there's too much of this character in here. I didn't have that in there. I just thought, wow, this little lizard is really like, he's interesting. <laughs> what if Johnny Depp did voice acting during the Disney Renaissance or during, you know, the, the golden age of Disney animated classics. What characters could you see Johnny Depp voicing for? Hmm. Well, I think if Johnny Depp were around back then, he would have been one of those Disney go-to guys like Phil Harris or Jim Cummings. Yeah. Use them constantly throughout different things. I could see him as villains, clearly, and good guys. Probably, I could see him as Stromboli, the villain from Pinocchio. Stromboli, really? Yeah. Or, um, like a Clayton from Tarzan or on, yeah, on the good yeah. guy side uh, Clopin from Hunchback in Notre Dame was uh, he the jester? yeah the, the goofy jester the fool guy oh, yeah, yeah. You know who sings? I could I could see him doing something like that. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. It's just a little what if, just a little speculation. Well, cool. Okay, so what did we like about Ringo? I love the atmosphere. The whole atmosphere of the film was like 
just the lighting and the texturing, it just pointed towards a Wild West movie. Like, you had the glaring, blaring, bright desert, you know, that's all disorienting. And then you had kind of the dusty, low-light locales of the Wild West town of dirt. And then the outdoor scenes were really cool. The outdoor scenes were so, well, like you said, they were realistic. I was uh, talking to some folks at work yesterday who really liked Rango, and I was like, why do you like Rango? And they were like, some of those outdoor scenes are so realistic that I thought they were real. Mm-hmm. I think cool. that's a huge and that's a huge strong point of this film that it has such a cool atmosphere. The character appeal in this film is very powerful and the, the whole character design was super cool. What do y'all think? Oh, for sure. Like the armadillo, he was, for me, the moment where I was just like, oh, wow, things have really changed in the world of animation. Because <laughs> we, you know, last time we just did Toy Story, which was the very first one. And <laughs> thinking back from Toy Story oh, yeah. to, you know, Rango, where you're just like, whoa, you look at the armadillo and it's like every little thing, the hairs on his like mustache thing. <laughs> like just everything was so perfectly done that you just look at and think, could this, what the heck is this? Yeah, yeah, I watched it and there's one point where I'm just, you sit there and you look at it and you, you're, I was kind of lost in it because I was looking thinking, could that be real? Is I mean, because that's pretty darn close. If that thing yeah. wasn't talking, I would think it was real. Yeah, seriously. And going back to Toy Story, like going back comparing it to the first animated films, like, there's a lot of fur going on in this film. Yes. You got like mottled, matty, nasty fur, and you've got like kind of brushed fur, mm-hmm. and it fits the personality type. I think back on Scud, his <laughs> dog from Toy Story. Poor Scud, like we're always berating him. <laughs> I think we berated him in episode five. Scud was like the, you know, he didn't have much fur going on, and now like in today's movies, you've got so much detail going on, you know, with the fur effects. I'm looking at applying fur to 3D models. Uh, right now, you know, studying 3D graphics, it's super complicated. And when you're animating, how you get the whole fur to flow and move with the wind or with the character's motions, it's super complicated. And you're right, this just shows that animation has gone gone such a long way. One of my favorite quotes in this was at the kind of toward the end where the the mole is in the he's in the jail and he's like, "Come here, son, I have to brush your fur. You have to look good when you go to meet your maker." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love those moles, man. It's so funny. Little moment. <laughs> I'm so, I don't know what it is about redneck cartoon characters, but I just love them. They hit the nail on the head with the voice on on the old Robin Hood for Disney. Oh yeah, but man. I just, yeah, I love those mole people on on Rango. <laughs> oh mole people. <laughs> and speaking of Rango himself, I really liked his character design. The first thing that stood out to me was that his face isn't symmetrical. Like it's it's not like he has one eye that's uh-huh. up higher than another. And I think it kind of supports his like his really wacky kind of absurd nature because he you know he goes on with this like crazy fantasy about him being you know a notorious gunslinger or whatever i just like it because it's like okay this protagonist (laughs) definitely no macho man how do you feel about rango's kink's neck I didn't notice it that much, but, I mean, it was a cool detail. I noticed that. I was like, it's not always that way. Yeah. <laughs> That's just why he's the way he is. Yeah, he's he broke just... his neck and something went a little awry. <laughs> yeah, probably. And going back, I love some of the effects they did with Rango. Like, I love how vulnerable they make him feel when he's, like, just when he's out in the real world in the desert. He looks up at the sun, and, like, he just shrivels real quick, <laughs> and his skin flies off, and, and then it happens again. <laughs> again. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, I love that. I wasn't expecting it to do that twice. I really loved it. <laughs> I loved Beans, the the girl lizard. She was so funny. Like her oh, yeah. her little quirks of just her defense mechanism. Yeah, her defense mechanism. It's a defense just, mechanism. Everyone's yeah. like, yeah, some trigger didn't go switch on that. I was like, oh, pity. <laughs> <laughs> but she her dialogue was great too. Get your hands off my boots. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's right. She did a great job. Yeah, I think one thing I really just loved about all the characters were how they took all the desert characters and just made them all their own. And there were so many different varieties of critters and creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, they used the Gila monster and then the rattlesnake and lizards and, and little chipmunks and squirrels. And I just thought it was really cool how they, when they would be animated and they'd move around, how they definitely had those characteristics of whatever critter they were. I don't know. I just kept, as it got on and I kept seeing more and more animals I was excited for when a new character would be introduced because I'm like ooh what are they going to do next because there were always new ones it wasn't like oh the whole town is lizards Mm -hmm. or half and half there were a big array of all of them it was really really cool for me to see that and all the detail put into each one of them yeah and you make a really good point this shows how much effort they put into this film Uh, not to rag on on DreamWorks or anything but Kung Fu Panda 2 like they only have a few like species of animals running around in that universe you know what I'm talking about like the general populace Mm -hmm. of the Kung Fu Panda universe, you've got like there's like rabbits, goats, pigs and ducks and that's pretty much it, you know, and then you have your main characters you know, your your cast and your supporting cast so that's, yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say everyone in the town of Dirt looks unique and different. They probably just had... And Chelsea mentioned something, you know how about about the little little Priscilla, little, little desert rat was so ugly. The bottom line for the character design is that everyone is super ugly in this film. Like, I can't think of a, like, a beautiful, like, ooh, pretty character in this uh-huh. film. Yeah, it just, it just adds to the reality of things. Like, these creatures aren't beautiful, and they're not supposed to be super appealing. They live in the desert, and they're starving and struggling. Yeah, so of course they're going to be all mangy-looking <laughs> critters. I like the word critters. It's a perfect way to describe all these Got characters. Got that from Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, critters! What? <laughs> you just got oh, that anyway. surround stand over here. I, you know, I think uh, the mole guy, the mole chief, the the guy we were talking about how he was like really really super ugly yeah, yeah I, I don't like that mole I don't like those moles that have those dangly nose things they gross me out <laughs> yeah dude his nose is the dangliest in this film yeah but yeah I, I love that mole chief man dangly nose I loved the music in this. It was so right up my alley. I don't think you guys realize it. Yeah, I was going to ask Hello. you about that. <laughs> Chelsea is all about country music and all about cowboys and cowboy films. So. Exactly. Well, I loved when they when they brought out the Cool Clear Water song. That was really funny for me. I was like, nice. I've heard this song many, many oh, times. Oh, yeah. They're kind of, they're like weird dance thing that they do before they get their water for the week. It was so funny, I thought. I mean, they prepped you a little bit beforehand. They said, their their strange rituals that they do every Wednesday before they get their water. But then he's like, is this normal (laughs) civic behavior? Not sure. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yeah. Like clockwork. You do pretty good, Priscilla. Hey, thanks. I like the music. Um, Besides the score, I liked, well, in the score, I liked the Rango theme that they play during the credits. Rango. And the the DVD menu. It kind of reminds me of the, um, that Black Eyed Peas song, you know, the... I liked it too because kind of, and I liked their uh, I like their hillbilly banjo version of March of the Valkyries when the uh, mole people are chasing after uh, our heroes. Yeah, 
There's nothing better than a good, carefully placed banjo that, that really spices up the energy in a film. <laughs> Seriously, I liked it. So when I think of this film, if I were to describe this movie to one in one word to my friends, I would say mm-hmm. texture. Texture. You know, it's just like looking at Rango's like skin alone. That's some really complex texturing. In animation, you use what's called a bump map. It's a scale of, of black to white and everything in, in between and all that that implies. And um, the computer reads certain values like black as a texture dipping down and um, white as coming up or vice versa. I can't really remember. So if you work on a gradient from white to gray to black and get all sorts of blendings of cool bumps and textures, and that's a, a bump map. It's not actually the 3D model is not actually that textured. It just gives the illusion of it based on what the computer's reading. But a displacement map, uh, at least on Maya, the 3D program that we use, is it actually brings out that kind of texture in the uh, 3D model. So I would, I, I think they're displacement maps there on Rango and all the other characters. But, but yeah, that's just me being super technical. But yeah, Rango's texturing was really cool. Even the sand and the dirt, they're just flying through particles everywhere. You look at the texture of wood. They just did so much that went into this. That was, like I said, one of the reasons where I just thought, wow, animation has really changed over the last 17 years. <laughs> Which is good yeah. to know. Hey, imagine what it would have looked like if we would have watched this in HD or on Blu-ray. Wow. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> we did not. And even then, we noticed it. So, I that definitely kind of the fact that we keep mentioning this, oh, all the technical details and how odd and inspired we were by them shows how worthy of it is on a technical level for everything that it's done. And one of the reasons that it won the Oscar, because it's not only a great story, but the animation itself and just the principles behind it are top notch. So you can't ask for anything better from your first full length feature film. Win the Oscar. (laughs) Woohoo. They did have a lot of practice on a, a lot of other things, but hey, good for them. Yeah, good for them. So. I really love the little the little mariachi owls. Uh, they were oh, yeah. so cute. Yeah, I liked it. It was kind of like a musical interlude kind of thing throughout the film. Yeah, it kind of made it seem like because Rango, he's all about he's this thespian. He's all us, you know, performing, and he's in this box and he's on a stage, and it kind of made it seem like that even more. Like they were narrating him through the film. So it kind of, like, they were a step back, and it's like we were looking at them who were, who were looking at him, if that makes yeah. sense at all. You know, the very beginning, I think there's two different times where Rango, he, he kind of, you know, breathes on the glass and then makes the rectangle shape with his fingers, representing I'm boxed in, this is my stage. And, you know, he's out in the real world, but at the same time, him being an actor, he's kind of closed in. But the owls, I thought they were great. They were so cute. <laughs> it had a remembrance of, like, the mice from Babe and the muses from Hercules <laughs> with that mariachi twist. Yeah, that's that's funny because the director, Gore Verbinski, he mentioned in an interview I was reading how he they added these owls and they were kind of like the Greek muses or the Greek chorus mm-hmm. that's in a lot of things. And immediately when I heard Greek chorus, I thought, Hercules. Um, There's even a part where they kind of broke that wall and Ringo was like, and now we ride. And we're leaving now, so play something or something like that. They start playing. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the guy comes out with an electric guitar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that part was that cool. Was really funny. <laughs> I, I love those montages of them riding out to go get the water back, and it's like super like Western film, you know, the exciting yeah. music. It's, you know, they're in the shadows, and then there's the sunset in the background, and they're just kind of 
going along. That's one of those moments where I when I saw the use of the different characters and they were riding on Roadrunners. I'm like, yeah, hey, clever, like, clever. Where are they like tying these Roadrunners up? <laughs> the hitching post. The hitching and then post. that gets into the the whole thing with animated films with which species of animals are beasts of burden and which ones are intelligent <laughs> ones that wear clothes. Because oh. if you look, there's a crow and there's a pigeon in their group. But they're riding on Roadrunners. Yes. <laughs> hey. So. It's a dominant species. Hey, I loved the crow. The Indian crow. It's like, oh. I'm going to put you in charge of all this because of your ingenuity. Uh, no offense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He's like, so I see you're uh, communing with the spirits. I'm molting. Means I'm ready to mate. I'll take note of that. <laughs> They're talking, and all of a sudden, the doctor guy comes up. And he's like, "All right, which one of you needs an examination?" That was and the crow's like, "Awkward." <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. That that kind of goes into the things that. Let's go into our next. What things didn't we like about Rango? Um, okay. I thought that the humor at times was a bit uh, low or yeah. vile, nasty. Vile. Say. Yeah. I mean, some of it, like, it has some super random funny moments, but some of those super funny random moments were, like you said, kind of vile and kind of, kind of, uh, poopy, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, they definitely were, were letting you know that, no, this isn't Disney. You know, I prefer to keep things clean, but, you know, not everyone does. And I was thinking, well, why do companies and filmmakers feel that they have to, like, push the limit and make it crude? Distinguishing themselves by deep being, you know, by dirty jokes and stuff. I don't know. I always believe in the motto, keep it classy, but classy never goes out of style. Never. It's, yes, fashion goes out of style, but class never does. I was thinking about that and I was reading an interview by the director, Gore Verbinski, and he helped clarify that. He said essentially that a lot of animation is seen as kids' movies, you know, and, and there's this filmmaker named Ralph Bakshi. And he directed a lot of adult-oriented animated films that were rated like X, probably wow. some of the only, yeah. And so he's sitting, he's like, why aren't there more guys like that? And I'll read the quote. He says, we're all sitting here talking about family entertainment. Does animation have to be family entertainment? I think at that cost, yes. There's the bullseye you have to hit, but when you miss it a little bit and you do something interesting, the bullseye is going to move. Audiences want something new. They just can't articulate what. So his opinion is that animation has kind of fallen into this genre of being family films. Like, all animated films need to be a family film. And so if that was the case, if he was trying to push the boundaries of animation and make it a bit more adult-oriented, personally, I would have liked to have seen this movie just rated PG-13 to, like, make it very obvious. Yeah. What its purpose was. I mean, I liked it a lot, and like I'm obviously older than 13, and you know I can handle it or whatever. But I feel a lot of audiences were kind of confused, thinking that it was a children's movie, and they were bringing four, five, six-year-olds, and they uh -oh. were just kind of aghast at what they were seeing with all the, the dirty jokes and adult humor. Yeah, there was dirty jokes and adult humor, and there's also some curse words, and that's a PG film. And and smoking. <laughs> yeah, and there was, smoking. was smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Which was. I don't have a problem with smoking in films, you know, and children's, well, I don't know, whatever. But there was a lot of smoking in this film, and there, that was a big um, point yeah. that people were arguing that this should have been rated PG-13 because there was such long periods of characters smoking in it that it should have been bumped up. But it is what it is. Oh, weird. 
I don't know about that. But they were like Wild West curse words, you know? (laughs) Oh, that makes it okay. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Okay, so what else else didn't you like about Rango? For me, the the story was a little redundant. I'd kind of seen the whole plot formula before. You know what I mean? Such as? Okay, uh, well, you take your protagonist who doesn't really know who he is or he's less than he wants to be, and then he kind of makes up this lie with the help of an extraordinary circumstance. True, true. And his lie works for a while, catches up with him, and then he has to f- find out that he's the real hero. Uh, if you were thinking about Aladdin, Aladdin I was actually I talking know. about Rango. <laughs> Aladdin! <laughs> so, but, uh, hey, um, I'd seen it before. I mean, Bugs Life had it, you know, kind of with the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of the three amigos type of thing. And then, you know, with Aladdin, of course... And so I guess it's not, like, super prevalent, but to me it was just kind of like, oh, I've kind of seen it before. And those people that I talked to yesterday at my work who liked it so much, that was the one thing they had to complain about it was the story was was kind of, well, you know, we've seen this before, so we kind of already know what's going to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. I think Johnny Depp's work as Rango made it a lot more colorful. Yeah. And made it a lot more, made it more interesting. But the base backbone of the story was the same as, as Aladdin in, in Bugs Life, basically. And the fact that, it, I don't know, it was there were lots of things kind of, like eye candy like we mentioned the animation and where it was said and the time period and all the characters that kind of took didn't make you focus so much on just the simplicity of the story um yeah good point there were some there were some plot holes for me there were just a few of them that i was just thinking i don't understand what what is that one and for example throughout the whole thing they're they're talking about oh you know there's this water that keeps getting dumped into the desert and i'm thinking they never really like solved that like told you who was dumping the water exactly i mean it was just was it the pipes yeah but they got rerouted i don't know and, like, that's the thing. Like, you don't really know where that's coming from. And then also they keep talking about, oh, it's such a bad thing that they're just dumping water. And yet they they move the pipes and flood the entire city. And that's okay. And everyone's just, like, dancing around. But still, it's there's just a few little things. I'm just like, I don't understand what, what that point was, but whatever. Yeah, one thing, I kind of got an anti-religion vibe from yeah. the film. It was more. It was more towards. It was pro spirituality, but anti religion with all the rituals uh-huh. and you know the dogma that's maybe associated with religion per se. I felt yeah. like they they kind of mocked religious rituals. You know, they were really kind of making fun of the the townspeople getting together and and doing their water dance or whatever they did. And then they go and the whole time they're talking about the spirit of the West, who happens to yeah. be a Clint Eastwood clone <laughs> directly and. He's because Clint Eastwood was in a spaghetti western called Man with No Name, so he's a complete clone of that guy. But yeah, like the spirit of the West is this infamous person that they're supposed to talk to and get answers from. And Rango goes, and essentially he says, "I can't help you; you have to do it on your own." You know, and I, I kind of pictured that guy as the God figure, mm-hmm. and then they kind of spun in and said, "Oh, you don't need God." you know, just figure it out yourself. It was definitely, I would say it was neutral religious wise. I mean, spoons, he gives a prayer, but it's not a prayer to God. It's a prayer to the spirit of the West yeah. who turns out to be Clint Eastwood riding a <laughs> golf cart. You know, I didn't see the ridicule part of it. I think the whole ritual with getting the water and that, you know, crazy weird trance dance that they do. I think it was kind of meant to kind of emphasize like how weird and outlandish this town was. Uh huh. 
And they did draw parallels to like a strong preacher presence. The mayor turtle gets up, talks about their salvation, and everybody's like cheering, you know, and they're, yeah. you know, getting real excited up on his stand. So I saw parallels to, to modern religion with that. I don't think it was mocking it, but it was probably a reference that fit with a Wild West theme that yeah. they wanted to go yeah. with. Okay. And, um, and I don't know. I mean, Spirit of the West was definitely modeled after Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and I guess they just put the Oscar statues in the back to identify him, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of hint. But yeah, it, it, you're right. It was kind of yeah. weird that he didn't go out and help Rango. It would have been cool if Clint Eastwood <laughs> just walked up to dirt, stepped on Rattlesnake Jake, stepped on the turtle, <laughs> and just shot Rattlesnake Jake. <laughs> That would have been cool. That would that would have been a good alternate ending, the special extended ending. Clint Eastwood, get off my lawn! He just shoots <laughs> Rattlesnake Jake. Okay, I think this film film should win an award for the most like random, wacky, like ridiculous, humorous lines, especially from Rango. We've been talking about his character and Johnny Depp's work. Just some of the specific stuff that Rango says is ridiculous. Going back to the bar scene when he's like talking about himself, he's like, he goes, I see things make a grown man lose control of his gladular function. And then he goes on to the horse thing. And it's just like some of the weird stuff he just says. Like he's like making an autograph to some kid. He's like, now remember, son, stay in school, eat your veggies, burn everything but Shakespeare. <laughs> Who's Shakespeare? <laughs> That's right. And going into religion, he autographs someone's New Testament. Oh, you want my John Hancock right here? All right. <laughs> yeah. And he's talking about the water problem. He's like, all right, all right, folks, stand back, clear the area. This is a crime scene now. Secure the perimeter, dust for prints, check for fibers, scan for DNA. I want a urine sample from everyone and get me a latte. Don't mix up the two. <laughs> <laughs> Good quote. So, yeah. Some random things that I thought were really funny is at the very beginning when the armadillo is like telling him where he needs to go, you need to go find dirt and then they'll be doing all this and this. Just follow your shadow, right? And so he, it shows him walking and he's clearly walking contrary to the armadillo's request. And I was like, how is he ever going to get there? His shadow's not going that way. Oh, really? Yeah, he yeah. He's like wasn't following his shadow at that moment. The shadow was too, like around four o'clock and yeah. he was going like straight north noon straight noon oh shoot one thing that I, I think is funny now now that I put the fact that it was Industrial Light and Magic who did this film is the chase scene in the desert reminded me so much of the pod races in episode one The Phantom Menace I like it I love that I love that uh, canyon scene and there was something about right when, uh, you know, right when all the moles family comes up and they're like in that circle, there's something about that little canyon area that really reminded me of Ben-Hur, like as they're starting to do the, the chariot races right uh-huh. there. And it just made me go into the feeling of, yes, anything that happens in a desert really just has the makings of an <laughs> epic adventure. Because <laughs> the desert's pretty awesome. It is. Yeah, it is pretty good. Well, there's just something about deserts. So what are the conundrums that you guys have in this movie? Questions that were not answered. I got an unanswered question. You know, why was he, why was Tortoise John trying to control the water anyway? Like, was he was he the one controlling the water? I guess he was, because he, he was like, you control the water, you control everything. And, and you saw that he was trying to build this kind of little, more modernized city. I guess that's what he was trying to do. Yeah. I couldn't really tell. 
then why, why didn't he just say, hey, look, everybody, I'm building a city and there's going to be lots of water. Everyone's invited, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Why, you know, why go through so much trouble to create this huge conspiracy? Well, that's the thing. Like, was he building that city just for him and his golfing buddies? Or was eventually he was going to move everybody over to this nice city? I don't know. I think just the main thing, I mean, even though he was creating a better world, per se, that could have fit and suited everybody, it was more about the power, about power and suppression. So by suppressing the water and making the people weak, he was able to control them, have power over them. Kind of like a the, the bad side of big business kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing I don't understand is at that point, who's going to pay you to live in your little city if you're killing everyone <laughs> and everyone's leaving? Like, this, this doesn't make sense. Like, it's a business deal. He says, yes, it's just a business deal. But no, these people would be the ones that would pay you to live in this wonderful little city. Why are you being mean to them? <laughs> yeah. Why are you killing them all? They'll pay because there's water, but then they won't be able to pay because they currently don't have water. Yeah. And he has an unlimited supply, so why does it matter to him? Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and another another layer of this Mayor Tortoise John conundrum yes. is that um, he took he was holding out on the water so that people would move out and sell their land to him because he needed the land for a city. But then all his city folk are gone because they sold their land and gone off to somewhere else. So yeah. you're right. He's lost all his potential customers, I guess, if he's hoping to capitalize on this big city. Yeah, that's true. That reminds me of Home on the Range. Same plot point where the cowboy in Home on the Range, he's buying every part of Texas except for that. He owns it all except for the little patch of heaven. Yeah. You know, and it's, that's his goal. He just needs that last one. And that's the same thing. It, like, parallels with this film. You know, he just needs Bean's property. Just doing everything he can to get that last little bit. Okay, I have a little bit of trivia for you guys. So, Tortoise John, the mayor, he is voiced by a man named Ned Beatty, and this guy also voiced a villain for a Pixar film. Can you guess which one? Which film or which villain? Both. I think I know. Was he, um, gosh, what's his name? Mr. Waterhorse or Mr. Watership Down? or Yeah, Mr. Waternoose on Monsters Incorporated? Nope. He wasn't? Good guess. Yeah. Oh, shoot. He wasn't on The Incredibles. Nope. He was Ned Beatty. He was, ah, I know who he was. Who? Was he, um, was he Muntz? Charles Muntz? On up? Nope. Here, I'll tell you. I'll give you a quote. One thing you got to know about me, I'm a hugger. Oh, <laughs> Lotso hugging bear. Yep. <laughs> Which they're oh, kind he was of. Lotso. They're kind of the yeah. yeah. He was Lotso, and they're kind of the exact same character with same motives. Yeah. You know, trying to control the so population. He's, he's done this before. Yeah. <laughs> he's the go-to guy for this this specific villain. <laughs> Oh, sweet. That's pretty good. Why wow, you got me on that one. So, we thought there's that one scene where Rango, they're like, what's your name? Who are you anyway? Something like that. Mm-hmm. And Rango, he, he's like, oh, I can change who I am. I can change my identity. And he comes up with the name Rango. Like, what do you think his real name was before? Like, does it even matter? Steve. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was Salazar Slytherin. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's it's interesting that that part's not even brought up, and and we don't even get a glimpse of what his real identity is, other than he's like he doesn't have one because he's an actor searching for an identity. Yeah, 
and then through this whole thing he's acting and he's pretending but he kind of comes into his own he becomes this this person yeah 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 and um I, I think that's significant that they didn't give give him a name because I don't think anyone would have remembered it unless he you know because he's only that persona at the beginning of the film yeah I think it always it also helps with the impact of when Rattlesnake Jake reveals that he's a phony mm-hmm. and Beans when he's walking by Beans Beans goes you know who are you Rango doesn't answer it's because you know he considers himself a nobody and he kind of is a nobody at that point because we don't even get to hear his real name so I think it does matter that he that they don't mention his yeah. real name uh I've, I've always had the question of where did he get that Hawaiian shirt? Well, you know, it's always that weird thing with animated films about clothing on <laughs> on anthropomorphic, you know, animals. There's just some sort of there's a fine line between who's naked and who's not. <laughs> yep. The roach was naked, but there's a spider who wears clothes yeah. in the town of dirt. I don't know. We'll have to go into the whole the whole naked the whole nude factor. On yeah. in cartoons, I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> maybe not. Yeah, you know how we said the Spirit of the West was modeled after Clint Eastwood. Rattlesnake Jake was modeled after Western star Lee Van Cleef, who was uh, he was he was a villain in, in a couple of Western films. Um, just looking at his profile, Rattlesnake he, Jake really creeped me out. His eyes reminded me of the Eye of Mordor. <laughs> True. Yeah, man, he was he was a hardcore character. I liked his gun too. It was like a it was his tail. Yeah. A rotary cannon. I know, and that's the most dangerous part of the rattlesnake at first, you know, because that's what kind of gives away that it's dangerous, I guess. Mm-hmm. He was in, good, he was in the, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, he was in a bunch of a bunch of Western films, this Lee Van Cleef guy. So I just thought it was cool because he had his, because rattlesnake Jake kind of had a little mustache going on. And I guess so did so did Van Cleef. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't even notice that. Well, he's got a mustache. Yeah. Other thing is, um, the actors were given costumes and sets to help give them the feel of the Wild West while they were recording dialogue. Yeah, I was watching a making of video, and it was really cool because it was definitely that part where they're doing their dance before the water at noon type of thing. Um, you know, and it's really jerky and and overly animated in their movements and so it definitely gave the animators some reference um especially for johnny depp for his character i don't know it was just it was another it was interesting just because normally you don't hear the words on the set for an animated film yeah and there was a girl i was listening to her interview and she said yeah it was really cool on the set with johnny depp i'm like wait what oh yeah they actually were on set. Yeah, that's cool. Earlier today, before we recorded, we tweeted from our Rotoscopers Twitter account, and we asked you guys the question, what is your favorite scene in Rango and why? And so we had an answer come back to us woo-hoo, um, from Mahish Pagar. So he said, his favorite part, he says, who exactly are you? Who am I? I could be anyone. And so that's that's Rango. And he says, I love that moment because Rango was born in that moment. And as an audience, we truly understand his solitude. The line itself has deeper meaning, too. And for him, it becomes like a play where he has to play the role life as a stage. I like yeah, that it's a good, good point. I like the theme that it, it brought into the whole thing as, you know, you are able to change your character. You're able to even though at the beginning he really wasn't anyone like we talked about he had no name he was just a no one but he decided that I couldn't be anyone and so he just goes through and he creates his life Mm -hmm. and it really is true there's so many times where we feel like 
we're stuck in our old lives, but we feel like we have to take that with us. But really, we can. We can change who we are, and we can uh-huh. we can move forward and be better and have more of an impact on people's lives. Yeah, yeah, that reminds me. Lady Gaga song Born This Way that's like the whole essence of it that we are constantly like being reborn and can change who we are that and definitely made me think of Rango that we can change who we are hopefully for the better and we can constantly do that it's not like I'm stuck in this person or my situation I can change that and go forth. And then from there, I can change even more and more and more and more. So it's this progression. So I like that a lot. So thanks, comments. So next time, we'll tweet again. And if you want to maybe be read on the air, make sure to tweet back. So guys, last but not least, what would you rate this film? Oh, shoot. Um, For me, it gets four stars because I like... The only thing that for me, let's just say this. The only thing that's, that kept it from being five stars for me was kind of the crude humor throughout. But other than that, I mean, it's a beautiful film. It's got great atmosphere. Definitely not for your kids or young kids, I guess. And uh, so, yeah, four stars for me. Cool. I think I'd give it a four stars as well. I think just solely on the fact that it was amazingly done, the atmosphere, the animation quality, just for me, was definitely worth four stars. So I'll give it that as well. Okay, I'm not copying you guys. I thought about this ahead of time. So, just letting you know. I, too, am giving Rango four stars. Basically, it's an amazing movie. It's quite an achievement in animation as an art form. The The story and the characters are really good. I appreciate Johnny Depp's depth as an actor and, and what he gives to the character Rango and kind of the messages it explores. It's good. It's not super original, like we said. We've kind of seen part of this before and it was a bit predictable but it was exciting and I liked watching it and I would watch it again but still a great movie. Four stars is great. Don't get me wrong. No, we won't. <laughs> Alright, all right. so we got four stars from me, four stars from Chelsea, four stars from Morgan, so that average is... Mm-hmm. I think it's four. Four? No. No? Oh, okay. <laughs> Fine. Go back to school. Get my math degree. And... <laughs> four stars all around. Well, great. So we're just going to finish this up. We have our first mailbag segment. Yay, mailbag! <laughs> Mail time! Never fails. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Look, it's a letter from our friend. <laughs> two letters. In addition to the tweet we had, we had two emails. So I just wanted to read them because they're kind of nice and they make us feel good. But they also apply to what we talked about. So on the website, we posted one of the commercials for Brave, and it was just a quick 30-second commercial. And one of our listeners, Kay, read, wanted to respond on the website, but for some reason the comment section wasn't working, so he emailed it. So I'm going to read it. So if you haven't seen this commercial, it's just go on the news for the rotoscopers, and it's Brave TV commercial number two. So he went and saw the commercial. He said, I'm so curious. The stone circle, the laws of the forest, the bear, the hare, what? It's like a soup whirl of icons and clues in my head. On my dad's farm, there's a spot where there's this circle of big oak trees. We call it the cathedral. You just know that long, long ago, the center once held the parent of them all. It's an amazing place to stand. The Bear in the Dark Spell, Brenda Chapman, co-author and first director of Brave and story artist on Beauty and the Beast. Any beasts there? And bloopers. I love the one at 33 seconds. Thanks for keeping us posted. I can't remember looking forward so much to a movie coming out. Awesome. That's from Kay. 
And here's a letter from Jeff. He says, I just finished listening to episode five on Toy Story. Great episode. Why, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank I'm you a huge, yeah, he says, I'm a huge Pixar fan and have been waiting for you to review one of their films. Uh, just a couple of fun comments he had. The letter A and then 113, you know how we talked about how it was in all the Pixar films. Mm-hmm. He says, not only does it show up in Pixar films, but in other animation and live action films. For example, it showed up a couple times in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which was uh, directed by Brad Bird, which I saw last week and I thought it was really good. Awesome. It was. Yeah. Uh, he says uh, about voices, he thinks, he's, uh, Jeff says, I think it's fun how many Pixarians voice characters in their films. Andrew Stanton, uh, Joe Ranf, Jeff Pigeon, Craig Good, all voice characters in Toy Story. That would be a fun topic for a future episode. We have been talking a lot about voice acting. And he also had a comment regarding Woody's last name. Lee Unkrich stated it on his Twitter feed sometime uh, back in 2009. Jeff says, I don't remember if it was Chelsea or Morgan who found this information on the Pixar Wikia site, but the funny thing is I'm, that is Jeff, involved with that site, so it was a bit weird and fun to hear you mention the site. I don't think the site gets a lot of notice, but it has a great group of contributors, and we are careful about only publishing factual info. So thanks for the mention. Uh, Jeff closes by saying, thanks for another great episode. Looking forward to another Pixar one. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jeff. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I think that's awesome that he's he's a contributor to Pixar Wikia, because definitely before that episode, I was, like, all on that, and I'm (laughs) always on that that website all the time, picking up little facts, and so it's kind of cool. It's just a a wonderful community that we're all sharing (laughs) with everyone. Yes, yes, so... So, thank you for for writing in. If you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, rants about this episode or things that we maybe have said correctly or incorrectly or you just want to get your own opinion out there, send us an email, therotoscopers at gmail.com or go to the website and click the Contact Us form and we'll be sure to read it on the air. Hey, thanks guys for joining us on yet another episode of the Rotoscopers podcast. As well, we also have our individual sites. Uh, You can go to the Facebook fan page of myself, Chelsea, and you can go to the Twitter feed of Morgan underscore Bert. That's me. And we also have the elusive Mason Smith, but someday you'll be able to find him. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We're glad that you guys could join us on our nerdy nights and make sure also check out audible.com. Great stuff there. Mm -hmm. And until next time, we are the Rotoscopers. Have a great week. Happy trails to you. Welcome to the Rotoscopers Podcast, Episode 7, Rango, The Creepy Critters. Creepy Critters. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dang it. It was another one of those time vortex things where I thought you were talking. You were actually talking like 10 seconds ago. (laughs) Time vortex. It's come back from Episode (laughs) 1. These things just follow us. Time vortex. The beast. The beast is going to come through my wall and just be like, where's the time vortex? I look at it this way. Why are we doing this? For us. (laughs) For us. (laughs) I'm not doing this for anybody else but myself. (laughs) (laughs) They should have realized that we weren't taking ourselves seriously when we did Rock Rock Doodle Doodle. as our third (laughs) Before Pixar. (laughs) I know. I really hope there's not someone who's like analyzing this and is like, hmm... I would have put Pixar as one of my first films.
Wait, what, what movie is this from? And I'm going to put on George Strait. I'm going to play it for the babies because everybody knows that George Strait makes babies smarter, which I kind of wish my parents would have done that because half the time I don't know what anything is going on or, or whatever. Oh, I ruined it. The Incredibles. But. Is it George Strait? I thought it was Mozart. I know. I just said, I just said oh. George Strait. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> or she's like a redneck, because half the time I can't tell what what's going on. Well, honey, I don't even know what's going on, but we're here, and I'm really glad that we were able to listen to some of this music, because it was right up my alley. I was very happy, you know, took me back to my, my western redneck roots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boy, howdy. Yo, man, I'll tell you what, man. Ringo, man, give me a minute there, man. Yeah. 